Uh, glad you're here and uh, excited about uh, this morning. I know these guys don't need a full introduction to you. You've heard that during the conference as well as some of the printed material that you have. Uh, but just to make sure that you know names, Dr. Danny Aiken in his 13th year is our president here. Uh, one of the things we're so blessed with here at Southeastern is to have our president as part of our preaching faculty. And we think that's a plus and we're uh, delighted to, to be able to uh, just have his expertise and he, he mentors all of us and shepherds us and we're grateful for that. Robbie Gallaty, a dear friend, uh, Pastor Long Hollow uh, Baptist Church in uh, Tennessee, uh, formerly at Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga. Uh, this brother and I go back a few years, back to New Orleans Seminary days, and don't know of anybody that is uh, speaking into our lives relation, related to discipleship more than, uh, than Robbie is right now. So glad that you're here. And then Thabiti. Anya Bwali, did That's I say good. it? That's did good. I say it right? I, I, I was working okay. on it. I'm sorry. I, he, Dr. Aiken said he just introduced him as the BDA, so we'll, we'll go with the BD this morning. Uh, pastor at Anacostia River Church in Washington, D.C. Uh, brother, thank you for your ministry. I've followed it for a long time. It's the first time really I've had an opportunity to interact with you personally, but uh, so excited about you being here. Uh, we're going to talk this morning about uh, Two areas that um, I'm not sure ought to be two different areas, uh, preaching and discipleship, disciple making. Uh, guys, I was um, uh, in, at a conference, a discipleship conference some time ago, was looking uh, through the book tables, you know, the book displays, uh, and uh, was, was thinking about a particular preaching book, asked uh, one of the workers there uh, about it, did they have it? And the response was, uh, no, this is a discipleship conference. Why, why do we keep these two things separate? Why, why uh, do, do they, they seem to be two different disciplines, two different categories? We know they're their uniqueness. I want us to think this morning about the intersection of those two things. Dr. Aiken, you're the theologian among us. Uh, so I want to start with you and just uh, ask you, uh, biblically and theologically, what is the relationship between these two areas in your mind, between preaching and disciple-making? Well, I do think it's a false dichotomy because I think for a pastor, discipleship starts in the pulpit. It doesn't stop there, but it starts there. And one of the things I, which is also why I'm so committed to expository preaching, because uh, as uh, Tripp said last night, it's one thing to teach the Scriptures. It's another thing to teach people to study the scriptures. And I believe biblical exposition models for your people how they themselves should treat and handle the Bible. In other words, you should have been so faithful in your expositional ministry that if for whatever reason in God's providence you drop dead tomorrow, there are dozens of men in your church who could step up the next Sunday and do exactly what they've seen you do for years and years and years. And so I think there's no better model for showing people how to rightly study the Bible, which is essential to discipleship, than biblical exposition. So I think there's a very important connection and relationship between the two, starting in the pulpit. Let me ask you brothers to jump in on that. Other, other things just related to the, the theological lens, the biblical lens, where you see these two things coming together. Yeah, I would just say, uh, I would just echo what uh, Dr. Aiken said. I think 
biblical preaching is the beginning of discipleship, it's not the end of discipleship. And I think some overlooked areas in my own personal life for years is not only discipling laymen into faithful followers of Christ, but discipling a next generation of pastors and preachers. And that means at times giving up the pulpit uh, yes. to them. And one of the things we did, which was a little thing, is when I went to Brainerd Baptist Church, it was a typical Southern Baptist church. Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And I just got convicted on Wednesday night. I thought, our people don't need to hear another sermon on a different text by me. And I love preaching. I got degrees in preaching. I love preaching. But I felt like I had some young guys coming up who would love the opportunity to preach. And so I modeled it in the morning. And then I expected them to do it on Wednesday night. And what that did was it, it freed me up to go in my office on Wednesday night and disciple four or five guys. Now, one of the things about discipleship, too, is you, you speak volumes by what you do more than what you say. We all know that. So on Wednesday night, this was a traditional church, about 100 people on Wednesday night. I'll never forget, new people would come to the church on Wednesday night, and they would say, where's the pastor? Why, why is he not preaching? And they say, oh, he's in the back discipling three or four guys. And they're like, why would he do that? Mm -hmm. you know, they, they didn't have a category for that. Yeah. But a year and a half into the discipling process, when I got up and said, all right, now I want you guys to emulate what I've been doing, it was easy for them because they'd already seen me model it. And so I think that's another helpful thing to think about when we think about discipleship, just raising up another gen next generation of preachers as well. Okay. And I'd say this, those who have to preach three different preparations a week, let's just be honest, you don't have enough time to give quality preparation to all three. You just no. don't. So if you have uh, two and you're letting somebody else do the Wednesday, I guarantee you, he's not going to study a couple of hours to get ready for Wednesday night. He's going to study just as much, if not more, than you do for Sunday morning. And so there's going to be more preparation going into what is given to the people as a result of that shared teaching ministry anyway. And I'm grateful, you know, Jim, in our day, uh, the beaties a little bit, um, <laughs> it was expected for the senior pastor to do everything. Right. And if he wasn't, then he was being lazy, he was being derelict. Uh, no, I think the senior pastor is doing what he ought to do if he's doing exactly what Robbie just said. Okay. Let, me, let me go ahead and chase that down at the media. I want you to jump in on this too. Um, chase that down just a little bit. Some brothers sitting out here that are pastoring those very traditional churches, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, maybe the expectation to preach any suggestion for these men on how, in a context like that, they move a congregation toward receiving that kind of ministry? Robbie, any thoughts on that? What, tell me what you guys do at Anacostia. Yeah. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? It's a Sunday morning. He asked you, brother. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, don't make me turn into Mark Deborah up here now. <laughs> he has discipled me, brother. Yeah. I know. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Let me, I, got, I got something for him today. Right. I got something for let, me, let me just say that it would be rather entertaining for this crowd if a fight broke out right now. <laughs> we don't so we have, this. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. I, I would say, what's the question again? <laughs> I, I'm always trying to think. I, you know, sometimes on panels like this, you know, especially when we're dealing with, you know, some of us that do itinerant ministry, guys pastoring larger churches, you know, even a church plant, you know, uh, situation. Sometimes uh, 
we don't make as much translation to, you know, the, the average church out there where a lot of these kinds of things are happening, smaller situations. How do, how, do, how do we move? How do we shepherd a congregation? You've been there. You've pastored churches okay. like that. Yeah. Uh, how do you move them to receive that kind of ministry from a senior pastor? Okay, this is a long answer, but I'll tell you short, briefly. So... I got to, how did I get out of preaching three times a week, which is the typical expectation of pastor? I've been studying the Jewishness of Jesus for years, Hebraic thinking versus Western thinking. Westerners, we think that we learn through transfer of information. So we think in America that, and no offense, I know I'm on Shake Graham at a seminary, I have degrees, no offense to learning, okay, I'm all for learning. But in the church, we think if we learn more sermons or we hear more messages, we're going to be more spiritual. But you and I both know there's a lot of people who know a lot of scripture and they're not very spiritual. They're not very mature. The Pharisees are perfect examples of that. So I started studying the model of Jesus. Jesus as an Easterner would have learned through transfer, not just transfer of information, but repetition and reiteration. So here's what the Mishnah says about learning. It's a great picture of the mind. He who has studied his lesson 100 times is not as effective as he who studied it 101. Now, that's radically a foreign concept for us because we don't understand that. So what I thought is, no offense to the guy who's doing this, but I thought Sunday morning message on one topic. You come out of there to Sunday school, you hear a different topic by a different sermon by a different preacher, and you just cut the impact of your own sermon in half. Then you come out of there and you come back on Sunday night, you yourself preach another sermon on another topic, and you just cut the morning sermon by a fourth. Then you come out on Wednesday night, and I know it's a devotional, but it's a Wednesday night devotional, and you teach another sermon on another topic, even though it's 15 minutes, and you cut the morning sermon by an eighth. And then you have a Tuesday morning Bible study or a Thursday night gathering of another study, and you just cut the morning impact by a sixteenth. And so I felt like another sermon on another topic was not as effective as maximizing what I was teaching for the morning. So that's why I started on Wednesday night. I just told the church, and it's a slow process, obviously, but I told the church, I think the most effective use of my time on Wednesday night is to go meet in the office with four men and invest my life in them for 12 to 18 months so that they can reproduce the process. Two of them, after that time, went to Southeastern. Two of those guys. All four of them are in ministry. Now, it doesn't happen that way, but that was a unique group. Four of those guys are in ministry. One is in India right now. And so I felt like that was a better use of my time at the time. And you have to teach the congregation that. So I would just say slow, sure steps, just thinking of how we learn changed it for me. Yeah, I I would just say your your Bible's your best friend, right? So on this issue of how to do ministry and how to get your folk to understand ministry, the best tool you have is the the book that you've committed yourself to teaching. Uh, It doesn't matter whether you're in the Gospels. And you're looking at how the Lord spends time walking with his disciples and how he gives them opportunity for mission and ministry two by two. And they come back and report. He sends them again. Or whether you're in the pastoral epistles. right? And you run across texts like 2 Timothy 2. 2. Uh, and, and just throughout the epistles, you're seeing like in Titus 1.5, the reason I left you in Crete is so that you might put things in order and appoint elders in every town. Uh, and so you just you begin to sort of just teach through the scripture and you sort of lift up the vision of the scripture for your people and to say, this is what we ought to be doing. Yeah. Now, one thing to avoid, if you can, avoid being critical of your people. Right. So you don't want to sort of raise that up and either explicitly or implicitly be communicating. Y'all ain't been doing it right. right. <laughs> I'm here now. 
and we're going to get it right. You know, that's not the message you want to give folks. And so along with giving them that vision from the scripture, I think in every way that you can, without flattering, commend every good thing you've been seeing going on in the life of that church. They've been believing in Jesus before you got there, maybe before you were born. They've been endeavoring to serve Christ as faithfully as they knew how. Um, we, we are there for their joy, to work with them for their joy, uh, and, and not to sort of be condemning, uh, but to build them up. And so I would just say lift up that word, that picture from the scripture, and at the same time, just be encouraging them, encouraging them. I, the Apostle Paul is a great model of this. You, you read his letters, if he wants the church to do something, like love one another, he'll, he'll do something like this. He'll say, hey, I have no need to tell you about loving one another. You already love each other. Then he'll say, do it more and more, as you have been doing. Yeah. That's, you know, that's just a wonderful way to encourage what you want out of your people. Say, hey, I know you love each other. I can see it. And then be you know, specific about it. And then say, let's do that more and more, yeah. right, until Jesus comes, uh, just as you have been doing. And so what your people feel in that is both encouragement and instruction, that they're going the right way, doing the right thing. And if you can do that toward the kinds of changes you want to make, like sharing the pulpit or raising up more teachers or training uh, other elders or, or what have you um, from the text, then all the better. Yeah. You know, one of the most important lessons I, I learned about that along the way, and I didn't start out this way, was thinking about being faithful to exposition uh, in, in being faithful to the mood of a passage of Scripture. I preach every passage. Of, I have a tendency to preach every passage of Scripture. Like you said, y'all ain't doing this. Mm -hmm. Here's how we're going to... But, it, you know, if you preach a text uh, and, and you're faithful to the mood, mm -hmm. Paul's doing what you're talking mm -hmm. about a lot of times. And you look at 1 Corinthians 1. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just patting them on the back. He's loving on them, saying, you know, great high fives, you know. And, mm -hmm. and so you think, okay, I need to do that with my people and be, be true to that. So you talked about, uh, you know... Bible teaching, obviously, the supernatural word going forth, encouraging our people. The BDR, there are other ways, and I want you guys to jump in on this, just other ways that you have been intentional about bringing disciple-making and preaching together, doing disciple-making in your preaching. That's a great question. I, I agree with the brothers, as they said earlier, that um, the, the, the main way you're going to be discipling the congregation is, is through the public ministry of the word, right? Um, and that has implications, I think, if you join together preaching and disciple making, I think that has implications for the way in which we preach. So I agree with Dr. Aiken. I'm committed to exposition in part because I want, I want my people to learn how to read the Bible and to teach the Bible. And I think that's the form of preaching that best, that best models that. But it also has implications for the content of your preaching, doesn't it? And so we think of like Colossians 1. What does Paul say? Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, Paul is there joining together preaching with this idea of people maturing and being perfect in the day of Christ, right? But he's telling us that what he does in his teaching is both warn and, and instruct and admonish and teach, right? And so that our, our teaching in the pulpit has to have, if you have no other categories, at least those two categories for application. Don't do this, this is dangerous, this is not you know, the will of God for your life. Do do this. This is, this is wonderful. This is God will bless us. This is how the Lord intends for us to live, right? But we can go through the scriptures and um, just think through all kinds of categories. So I guess what I'm encouraging right now is for us to be really thoughtful about application, 
Mm -hmm. right? it's, it's oftentimes in the application, along with good explanation of the text, that we begin to sort of press the text in on our people, and our people are being shaped by God's word in their particular situations. And so we, we know Mark would do this, I assume you, got, you brothers probably do this. There are many pastors who have an application grid. They'll have various kinds of categories that they're trying to keep in mind as they work through the text. So how does this apply to, take the categories out of um, 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. How does this apply to older men, younger men, older women, younger women? How does this apply to stay-at-home moms, working moms, retirees? How does this apply to the 10-year-olds in the congregation, yes. right? How does this apply to our social context? Or how does this apply to ethnic relations? I mean, you know, develop for yourself a grid of applications. Now, you don't want every sermon to hit all those things, right? It's just, <laughs> it's not, that's not the point. Some things are going to be closer to the text. Some things more distant. But what it does is it, it keeps um, before you the various discipleship needs of your people, and it, and it keeps you sort of bringing that into context with the text in an intentional way. Another way to do that is if your church has a membership directory, you know, as you're doing sermon prep, pray through the directory. Yes. And ask yourself, how, how would this apply to someone like, now never preach anybody's confidences <laughs> in the pulpit, right? Mary, I was thinking about you Sunday. Well, you know, I was preparing this text. This is for you, girl. Now, that, that's, that's, that's not what I mean. Fred Luter does that sometimes. He calls names. <laughs> if you're encouraging him, I think that's good. But if you're rebuking him, it's probably not wise. Uh, so, yeah, so just, just in the application, I think, is part also of where we sort of um, do the work of disciple making in, a, in addition to the explanation of, of the text and modeling how to read and teach the scripture. Very good. Dr. Aiken, anything you'd add to I that? I would affirm everything yeah. with enthusiasm uh, that the BD said. I think one thing I could add to it, and I learned this even more so from Mark, uh, our people don't read good books. They don't. Mm. And we shouldn't fuss at them because how do they know mm. unless we guide them? Mm. So one of the things I would uh, encourage men to do that are wanting to disciple from the pulpit, but beyond that, it, and you'll be surprised what your people will do. If you say to your people, and they love you and trust you, I want you to go out and buy this book and read it. A lot of them will. That's right. They just will. That's right. And so thinking in terms of just general things for the Christian life, and then those that you are discipling uh, and teaching how to rightly handle the Word, put good books in their hands about how to interpret the Bible. Put good books in their hands about how to teach the Bible. And just simply make them aware of the wonderful world of literature out there that can complement, mm -hmm. with an E, the things of the Scriptures. Amen. In order to do that, we gotta be reading ourselves. Yeah, you can't stop, <laughs> you know, some guys, it, it, I just, this is uh, a word of admonishment. It's good. I'll go to your churches and preach, and I'm just heartbroken when I see your library. And I'll ask, well, when's the last time you bought a theology book? Well, I haven't bought a theology book since I was in seminary. I did that in seminary. Really? So you think you reached uh, your maximum in terms of theological knowledge in seminary? We can't do everything in seminary. In fact, what we're doing is trying to train you to teach yourself. So we're acquainting you with resources. We're giving you good disciplines. The fact of the matter is, God's called all of us in this room to be lifelong learners. We should continually be reading, buying books, growing, have a breadth of what we're reading. Maybe you are, for lack of a better term, an eschatological nut. So you, yeah, I'm reading on eschatology, Doc. Great. 
Are you reading on the doctrine of God? What have you read recently on the Holy Spirit? What are you reading about evangelism? What are you reading about missions? What kind of biographies are you allowing the Lord? I love biographies. Oh my goodness, especially missionary biographies. No type of literature has fed my soul more effectively in the last decade than missionary biographies. And so where you are not naturally inclined to go, make yourself go there. And you've even written on a few missionaries. I have a few. <laughs> a couple. I would say, too, um, that's, a, that's a great point to think about. Uh, and not only telling the church to read certain authors, but quoting. we got, we got to realize there's great impact when we quote someone in a sermon and reference a book in a sermon because we're endorsing that in a sense to our congregation. The, the very word disciple, mathetaeus, is where we get the word mathematics. I don't know if you guys know this. Mathematics where we get the idea of discipline. So everybody in here is a disciple. The, the question is, are you a good, because Jesus didn't call Christians. I'm going to talk about this in my message. The, the word's only used three times in the New Testament. Christian, two of those times, kind of in a negative sense. The word disciples used 269 times in the New Testament, 238 times in the Gospels. So the question is, what does Jesus want? He wants disciples. He's not interested in Christians. So what is a disciple? <laughs> well, you want to put that in context, yeah, bro? Don't, don't quote that. Don't quote that. <laughs> But, That's good. I like that. But you know what I'm saying. You I know like what I'm saying. Yes. So, so. <laughs> you still, Mark's not even here. I love like it. <laughs> here you go. Here you go again. Uh, I so, know what you uh, meant. You know what I, I mean. Yes. You know what I mean. Yes. So, so what is a disciple? It's this idea of a learner. And I think, I think in order to be a leader, you have to be a learner. The day you stop learning is the day you stop leading. And I think, as we talked about yesterday, when, when can you, I love what you said yesterday, when can you disciple someone? As long as you stay ahead of them. See, that's why I think personally, discipleship is going to save the church. The church itself, the pastoral ministry. Here's why. This is one of the surprising insights of discipling guys for the, over a decade now. I find that disciples, and I've heard this from countless guys, if they were here, and I mentioned some of their names, you'd know them. They would say, discipleship saved my ministry as the pastor. I was ready to throw in the towel. It saved me. And here's why. Because... If I don't have a guy or a group of guys looking me eyeball to eyeball and say, hey, bro, are you in the word? Hey, tell me how your marriage is. Tell me how your life is. See, most pastors, 70%, according to statistics, whether it's true or not, don't have a close friend in the church. No, Some don't. of my closest friends in the world are discipling relations. Dr. Shaddix, David Platt, some of these others, closest friends in the world, discipling relationships. And I think discipleship, one of the great byproducts we're not talking about much, is I think it will save the pastor's from failing in ministry and falling in ministry. So, and that helps us to be a learner. I know every week that my guys are gonna hold me accountable right now to, to memorize scripture and I'm gonna have to do that, so. That's good, That's good. What a great word. Guys, I wanna, I wanna throw out one other question and then we're gonna open it up and give uh, some of these uh, folks an opportunity to ask you guys some questions. But this is one that's, um, you know, just really, really of special interest to me. A number of years ago, I read a book, I know that probably, you guys have probably read it, by James Thompson called Preaching Like Paul. Very formative book. I don't agree with everything he said, but just uh, very formative in my own life and ministry. And one of the things that he brought to the table was the idea that that in the New Testament, Paul seemed to be more concerned about shaping the body into the image of Christ than he was the individual. 
Now, I've listened carefully. Most of our conversation is, is what we naturally gravitate to. We're thinking about this brother, you know, or this brother right here and how we make application to his life and shape him into the, Christ, in, in the image of Christ. In disciple-making through preaching, uh, do you see uh, as a part of that, is there a difference between discipling the individual in the congregation and discipling the congregation as a whole to shape the body into the image of Christ. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would buy his premise. Um, I, I then we're done. I mean, let's just go on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume it's the case that even when we're spending time with individuals, we have our eye on the whole. Yeah. That, yeah. that we, we're, we're, in fact, as shepherds trying to get our arms around the entire church. And, and part of the, a, a significant sort of area investment for us as pastors is in those persons we think actually going to help us do the work of the ministry. It's going to actually help us shape the whole yeah. and, and shepherd the whole. Uh, and certainly in our, in our pulpit preaching, we, we are not, as I said, preaching to individuals uh, as much as we're, again, trying to sort of model for the congregation uh, how, to, how to draw near to Christ in, in the reading and the study and the application of his word. Um, so for me, those things are, are kind of symbiotic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that there's not a hard division between caring for an individual who is a part of the body, who will in turn, if the church is healthy, each joint, each ligament supplying to the whole until we all grow up into the fullness of the stature right. of Christ. And there we're just thinking uh, Ephesians 4, where Paul has in mind both the individual joints, ligaments, parts of the body doing their part, but the whole yeah, growing up good. together. And so I, I, from where I sit, those things actually belong together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can't separate them out. But, but if you do take something like unity, you know, I can't shape him into unity, you know, oh, in, right. into living out unity. That is only as it, but it starts with him. He's got to do his part with that. But whether my congregation is a unified church or not is, yeah, a, different question. is a characteristic of, of, you, of the image of You can't actually have unity if you do a group of three to five, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> with the well, whole well, body. Well, but is that a church? No, it's not a church. I thought I asked. I asked what I want you guys to do is answer, answer the question like this. Either put your thumbs up. Or it like, uh, that, that was so confusing. That's why I stayed there all the time. That was a safe answer. I would say, and, I, and, I, and I, just thinking through that, I think the same things you do publicly are basically the same things you do right. privately. That's right. Because you're emulating for the congregation how to pray on Sunday. I'm emulating for them how to study. That's why I appreciate what you said about preaching. Great mm -hmm. biblical expositional preaching is clear preaching. We, mm -hmm. we talked about this years ago. Just clear. I just preached through Acts 2. I looked at the sermon of Peter. I noticed three things about the sermon. It was simple. It was Christ-centered. And it was biblical. <laughs> you just take those three and apply it to many modern day sermons and you say, wow, how far have we come? But that's what Peter is. Very simple, Christ-centered and biblical. And then, and then uh, just quoting scripture or using scripture in the sermon. I think you're teaching it. One of the things I'll back up, I, I didn't say this earlier. One of the ways you can create excitement for discipleship in your preaching for your people is to season your sermon with illustrations from your weekly time or your gathering with guys, uh, or, or, well, yeah, or guys, we would be meeting with girls, but guys. Uh, and what I would do is I would just say, instead of an illustration of John Huss or John Bunyan or John Calvin or whoever, you'd say, hey, let me tell you what happened. Took my guys to the prison this week, and we've been talking about providential prayer 
But uh, after I spoke, the guard asked us to come in. And so I looked at my guys and said, hey, let's go in and pray. And they're like, us? I was like, no, no, we're all going to go in and pray. And so they got to pray for inmates over and over and over. And we were there about an hour praying. And we got in the truck. One of the guys leaned over and said, man, I learned more about prayer today than I've ever learned in a book. And, and then move on. And so what I'm doing subtly is I'm showing them. I'm not saying you need to go disciple guys. I'm saying I'm discipling guys. And I'm sharing some of those those illustrations. I think that's another thing we overlook in preaching. Just use those personal illustrations to really impact the congregation.